This episode of Biscuits and Jam is presented by Boar's Head. Welcome to Biscuits and Jam from Southern Living. I'm Sid Evans, Editor-in-Chief of Southern Living Magazine. My guests this week have been one of the South's biggest success stories over the last few years, and they made their mark with a distinctive sound that's reminiscent of some of the world's great soul singers. Yeah, obviously, there is soul music as a genre, like you mentioned, some of the greats, the Al Greens and Marvin Gaye's and whatnot, and we love to pay homage to them or at least be inspired by them. But I think the most important thing for us is that it comes from our soul and that uh, what Eric is writing and singing and feeling is coming from his soul and what I'm doing musically is coming from mine. Singer-songwriter Eric Burton was busking and couch surfing across the West Coast before settling in Austin, Texas and meeting guitarist and producer Adrian Casada, who had already won a Grammy with the Latin-influenced Grupo Fantasma. The duo began what was originally just a studio project called Black Pumas in 2018, but the buzz around Austin proved that their sound belonged on a stage. Black Pumas released their self-titled debut album a year later, and they've never looked back, earning four Grammy nominations and performing at this year's presidential inauguration. On today's show, Eric talks about how his faith influenced the band's biggest hit, Colors, and how his early days in the church are deeply rooted in his music. There's just a level of realness that you get when you're conversing or fellowshipping with people from the South. It's uh, something that I want my music and our music to feel and sound like every time people press play. Plus the Black Puma's favorite Austin restaurants and more this week on Biscuits and Jam. Well, Eric Burton and Adrian Casada, welcome to Biscuits and Jam. Thanks for having us, man. It's such an honor to have the Black Pumas on this show. I'm a big fan, and it's been a really big year for you guys. Yeah, it's been a crazy year, man. I mean, I think that we're still kind of processing everything. And, you know, the fact that we have so many different publications who represent the voice of so many different people of different walks of life being interested in this project and the music and what's happening. It's very exciting, especially for where we come from individually as musicians and artists. So again, thank you guys so much. Well, Eric, I want to start with you. You grew up in uh, Southern California and you moved to Austin, Texas a few years ago. What was it about Austin that drew you there and made you want to stay for a while? Well, I I think, uh, you know, I spent you know, uh, quite a bit of time in California between there and West Virginia and, you know, a little bit of time in New Mexico. When I first got to Austin, I felt that kind of Southern hospitality kind of thing where, especially for the artist and the musician that I am, the people here were very highly receptive and just very warm and welcoming um, to me. And, and that was something that I wasn't quite getting in the same volume that I do here in California. So I'm glad I stayed because I, I, I think Adrian and I both admit to each other that this wouldn't have happened anywhere else. What were those first couple of months like for you? Did you dive right in or was there an adjustment period? 
Most definitely. I d- dove right in the first day. I, I uh, was on a busking trip from uh, Los Angeles, California to Seattle, Washington, hitting all the major cities to, to then come back down towards New Mexico, where my current immediate family lives, to then be in Austin, Texas. And the first two months, it looked like me busking, you know, every other day at about 100 to $200 a day, um, just myself and couch surfing and meeting the just amazing artists and musicians here. I kind of like got very lucky in that as soon as I got here, you know, I was invited to like a, a party. And one thing kind of led to the next where I got to know kind of the inner circle of uh, musicians here uh, quite quickly. I had only busked here for about, uh, you know, a few months. And then I moved into a house, started building my own studio, met Adrian Casada, and uh, we, you know, initiated the Black Pumas Project. And, and Adrian, you've been in Austin for a long time. I mean, you could play music anywhere in the world, Nashville, LA, New York, What are some things that have kept you in Austin? I would say the number one thing that kept me in Austin is family. I moved here from a city called Laredo, which is like three hours south of here. Coming from Laredo, Austin was a whole other world to me. And it was the the nearest city to my hometown where I could do music, you know, and art and feel creative and be myself. I moved here three days after I finished high school and just felt like I could be myself here and, and st- but still be a drive away from seeing my family. And then eventually met my wife here and we started a family. So, you know, we have pretty deep roots in Austin and Texas as a whole. So that's what's kind of kept me here. I've actually talked to other friends of mine who, you know, in their 20s moved to LA or moved to New York and moved to Nashville and did all that kind of thing. And, and I just never left. I've never lived in anywhere but Texas. So when y'all met, I'm wondering, what are some of the first places that you took Eric to in terms of food or bars? I was actually remembering an early last-minute lunch meeting we had. This was before I think we were even a band, and we went to a place called Little Darlin. I don't know if you remember that, Eric. You were still teaching? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We had a lunch. We had a burger and a beer there. Then I think the first place that I remember us sitting down, because we were just, we'd just get together in the studio, was right around... Our first South by Southwest, we went to a place called Cosmic Coffee, and that place is a great outdoor kind of coffee, you know, with a bar, good food trucks. There's a really good taco truck there. There's some, like, good chicken wings there. And I know it's still, it's become one of Eric's haunts as of late, and uh, that was one of the first places I remember us kind of getting food and a drink and talking about, you know, the future. So do y'all have a lot in common when it comes to food or do the similar interests kind of stop at music? <laughs> well, I was raised in California where the uh, Latin culture is very prominent. And so I grew up loving empanadas and tacos and, you know, even down to pasole and things like that. I- I've never seen Adrian eat uh, that authentic of, you know, Mexican food, but sometimes I'll come to the studio and Adrian, he'll have like some mystery lunch in there. You know, sometimes it's tacos, sometimes it's uh, chicken wings that he might have made at his house. And actually, I was I was just talking to my roommate uh, yesterday. I'd never gone here with Adrian, but it is one of my favorite places for kind of like Texas soul food in Austin, Texas, and that is uh, Hoover's. I remember going there, and you know, I was hungry, but I think the food was so good that. 
I probably ate more than I would have eaten anywhere else at that time. I had two, like my, my friend told me, he said, dude, you ordered two entrees, a dessert, and you ate it all. It's just nice, man. There's, there's some very special restaurants and spots to go to to eat out here. You brought Hoover's over to my house last year, Eric, when my studio was still there, when we were doing some taping or something, kind of beginning of the pandemic, when, when everybody was so careful to like not touch food or anything. And I remember Eric had Hoover's and he had this huge, you had a huge uh, star for those styrofoam <laughs> kind of to go uh, plates completely full of a lot of Hoover's. And it was uh, really early in the pandemic when I was really paranoid to just touch anything that anybody else touched. But man, it looked so good. And Eric was like, oh, come on. You know, you want some. So remember you, you <laughs> took remember. some Hoover's over to the house. I remember, yeah. man. I remember. I, I think yeah. that you uh, you caved and took a few bites, actually. Oh, yeah, yeah. absolutely. It's such a great food town. And the barbecue, of course, is legendary. Yeah, you know, the barbecue is amazing. And, and as is in uh, in Lockhart, right outside of Austin, is kind of like the capital, really. But it's funny because I, I feel like I only eat barbecue when friends from out of town come in and want to eat barbecue. You know, it's kind of one of those like really heavy lunches that like you got, if that's what you're doing that day, that's what you're doing that day because it's it's heavy <laughs> duty. So I feel like I mainly eat barbecue when friends from out of town come into town and say, man, let's go get some barbecue. And then you just got to clear your calendar. Yeah. I, I personally really love the integration that, that has been like Texas, like kind of soul food and Mexican food. One of my uh, first friends here in Austin, his name is Yayo Sanchez, and his parents own a, a restaurant called Baby A's. It's a little chain out here. And so if you like Tex-Mex and delicious cocktails, they do like this uh, frosty kind of a... Uh, cocktail where you know each one has there's levels to the uh was the abv the alcohol uh, potency yeah yeah yeah, (laughs) potency and and so it's just i'll I'll leave it there it's been a lot of fun to like revisit that place as well especially that uh, my friend's family owns it so eric You've said that the church was a big part of your introduction to music and and performing as a kid. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Um, Yeah, between California and growing up in the South and West Virginia, there's just a level of honesty and uh, genuineness there, I guess, so to speak. I, I just feel like when I've gone to church, I was reminded of where James Brown came from, where Aretha Franklin would come from, and where a lot of these country slash soul artists who have kind of uh, grown up in the church kind of got their chops, so to speak. In short, there's just a level of realness that you get when you you're conversing or fellowshipping with people from the South. It's uh, something that I want my music and our music to feel and sound like every time people press play. It's got to be a warm feeling, a home feeling for everyone to kind of come to. The the South and the church has this very universal appeal, I think, that is really, it, it shouldn't be overlooked. Was that an early part of you kind of becoming a performer? Most definitely. My grandparents were missionaries, and so therefore my mother and my uncles and my aunt were very closely connected to the church in my upbringing. So, yeah, that's where I first locked into that feeling that is, you know, accessing one's highest self by way of music. And so that's 
that's something that uh, still molds me and is, is cultivating the artist that I am, for sure. I, I know you had an uncle that you were very close to. Did he play a big role in kind of helping you discover music? Yeah, being that he was an artist himself with not too many things for kids to necessarily enjoy around his place, we would take two playing melody games. We would do a competition, like someone get, wins $5 or the last popsicle, whoever can come up with the best melody and seven notes, you know? So we would play games like this as younger kids. And I didn't know that I would end up taking that and running with it, you know, uh, when I turned 18 and got my first guitar. But growing up, I was very much cultivated to be an artist and, and a songwriter just by, you know, having watched my uncle write his own music and, you know, just kind of follow in his footsteps to that degree. And Adrian, what about your early musical influences? When I was a kid, I was home alone a lot by myself. My parents worked a lot and I was an only child. And so I was really into art back then and drawing. And what I would do to pass the time was I would watch MTV a lot. It was a whole other world to me because, um, just uh, Laredo is, is not a, a small town, but it's a little bit isolated from the next big city would be San Antonio, which is a little over two hours away. So I, I would watch a lot of MTV. That's where I really got into music. And it was just this whole world. And I just became fascinated. I mean, that was when they actually played videos, you know, so that's how I discovered, you know, Yo! MTV raps. And then on Saturday nights was like uh, Alternative Nation in 120 Minutes. It was like, you know, where I discovered Nirvana. And it just really got a lot of my music from that. And I didn't have a lot of friends with the same musical taste back then. So I was really obsessed with music. And I was already collecting tapes and CDs when they came out. But I started playing guitar when I was about 13 years old. So do you still have a lot of family down in Laredo? Yeah, absolutely. Still do. My family was in, on both sides of the border. Laredo's a border town. So like my mom's family was in Mexico. My dad's family was in the U.S. And is there kind of a, a music culture in Laredo? The, the music of the border is a lot of like what you call ranchera music and like uh, boleros and a lot of kind of more traditional sounds are down there and and that's the music of the border and that's one of those things when i was a kid down there i hated it i was like man i want to listen to nirvana and you know the bc boys and ice cube like i don't hear no mexican music and and it wasn't until i was in college that i began to appreciate a lot of that music and why it's uh stood the test of time you know that music has has been around forever and i didn't really come to appreciate it i didn't want to be totally honest all it was all around me when i was a kid and i just didn't like it i didn't like it because i wanted to listen to mtv so your music is often referred to as psychedelic soul. What does that mean exactly? I mean, the music sounds to me very modern and very timely in a lot of ways, but I also hear a lot of Al Green and Otis Redding, and it seems like a sound that could have come out in you know 1966. It still gets thrown around a lot, psychedelic soul, and, and I guess we've realized that there's no way to really accurately completely describe it in a few words and funny enough we were i was thinking about it the other day and i think that early on we were maybe the first ones to utter that and put that somewhere like psychedelic soul you know because there was some elements of that in the music and you know here we are like a few years later and it's caught up to us and and it's not like we disown it or anything like that obviously there is soul music as a genre like you mentioned some of the greats the al greens and marvin gaze and 
whatnot. And we love to pay homage to them or at least be inspired by them. But I think the most important thing for us is that it comes from our soul and that uh, what Eric is writing and singing and feeling is coming from his soul and what I'm doing musically is coming from mine. We'll continue with Eric and Adrian from Black Pumas after the break. This episode of Biscuits and Jam from Southern Living is presented by Boar's Head. Introducing Sweet Bee's Honey Barbecue Glazed Chicken, a new classic flavor available only from Boar's Head that brings the celebrated traditions, signature flavors, and iconic taste of sweet honey barbecue to your local deli. Inspired by famous barbecue joints and the aficionados who know the reward is worth the wait, comes an authentic experience that can only be from Boar's Head. Made with premium ingredients, this slow-roasted chicken is delightfully sweet with notes of honey and perfectly balanced with savory hints of hickory smoke. Honey drizzled and barbecue sizzled. Ask for freshly sliced Sweet Bee's Honey Barbecue Chicken during your next visit to the deli counter. Boar's Head. Compromise elsewhere. Welcome back to Biscuits and Jam from Southern Living. I'm Sid Evans, and we're talking with the Grammy-nominated duo, Black Pumas. So you really got your start as the Black Pumas performing at a place called Sea Boys Heart and Soul in Austin. What were some of those early performances like for you guys? I, I think Adrian said this the best. We both have a healthy level of confidence, but uh, I believe that we were both fairly nervous. We didn't know how it was going to go over. All all we knew for sure was that we had a really great time recording it together. And we felt that we would be remiss not to give this music a go with the aesthetic that is playing it with a band. And, uh, yeah, I remember, I, I remember both of us not really inviting too many people out. It wasn't like a like a showcase, so to speak. It was just kind of uh, put it put on in a way that was very nonchalant and felt like kind of normal for what was going on at that place. I, I remember Adrian reaching out to Steve Wertheimer with a, a couple of songs and he said, hey man, um, dig it and would love to have you guys out every Thursday um, of this month, which was February at that time. And yeah. I mean, how did you feel, Q? I, I remember Adrian pulling me aside as soon as we finished and there was just like this mutual shared energy that, of excitement and um, encouragement, I think. Yeah, those were still some of the, like my favorite, you know, memories of the band. So we did every Thursday for a little over two months. I used to look forward to that Thursday all week long. I mean, it was so much fun. You know, those first shows were a lot of our friends, but by the second or third one, they were there was lines around the block. It was so new and so fresh, exciting that I'd, I'd had a hard time sleeping the night before because I'd be so excited. But I do remember, I think it, I felt like it exceeded my expectations on that first show. We just didn't hadn't known each other that long. We hadn't we'd only rehearsed a couple of times, and everything I had ever seen of Eric on YouTube was just him playing guitar and and singing. You know, kind of standing there. Obviously, you can't be doing splits with a guitar on your back, but uh, I remember him kind of ripping off the guitar and like kind of 
this whole other thing happened where I was like, oh, wow, I, I didn't even know he could do that. I had no idea. I thought he was going to stand there and play guitar, which would have been awesome, you know? So it was, the first show was just this major, like, moment um, where I had chills, you know, after the, during the show and after the show. So there's a video of your hit song, Colors, on YouTube that now has about 73 million views. That's as of yesterday. Wow. And it says it was filmed at Arlen Studios in Austin back in 2019. And I'm wondering if y'all can take me back to that performance and what you were feeling when you recorded that day, because it clearly something special was happening and people feel it when they're watching that video. Yeah, I, I remember Ryan, our manager, Ryan Madison, had suggested the idea. He was like, you know, you guys have this killer live show. And it, had I known that people were going to make reacts videos to it, people were going to analyze Eric's singing, people were going to transcribe my guitar solo note for note, I think I would have been a little more nervous, but maybe it's, it was better that way. There are certain things right now we've done, like the Grammy performance we did and the inauguration video where I, f I felt the pressure a little bit that day of like, okay, this is going to be watched millions of times. But I, I wouldn't have guessed back then that 70 million people would watch that live version of Colors. You know, there's videos of people analyzing Eric's singing style that have thousands of views. There's people that have like transcribed the guitar solo um, where I felt like I added too many notes on certain parts and those have been watched thousands of times. And there's people that have like transcribed the keyboard solo of that video. So it was, it's kind of amazing. It's kind of incredible. It's taken on a, on a life of its own. So Eric, you wrote that song a number of years ago. And I've heard you talk about it being inspired by the colors of the sky in New Mexico. Is that right? That definitely aided my writing, for sure, as does nature, generally. I love writing from the perspective of what we see and feel here and can touch just living on this lovely planet, right? And so a lot of my songs kind of gets um, written and inflected um, and or presented through this the spectrum that is nature, but... The song is really about my relationship with God. The song is really about my relationship with my highest self. I was leading praise and worship at a Presbyterian church at the time that I wrote that song. And I was trying to figure out a way to share the joy that I was getting out of singing and performing and just, just servicing in church, you know, to sharing that with my friends who were, you know, skaters and like to smoke and drink and, you know, not do, you know, the, 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 the square thing, you know, that I was kind of doing at that time. So I was like, man, how can I reach my friends? How can I reach the rest of the world who may not share the same existence that I do? And so Colors was my attempt at meeting myself at the highest point to then reciprocate something that everyone could feel invited into. You talk about everyone being invited, and I feel like the lyrics also speak to the power of diversity. And I feel like a lot of people have taken that message from it. Have y'all gotten that feedback from people? Most definitely. And, and I, I think that's what makes us most thankful about having this conversation with you for all of the listeners out there who are curious as to where, you know, the origins of the song 
kind of exist within. People come up to Adrian all the time with their take on it as well. Um, I should let you uh, take that over if you like, Adrian. Yeah, I mean, just from, you know, from my perspective, having first heard this song in 2017, which was already seven or eight years old or whatever, however long ago that was, um, and then having recorded it and the feeling that I get playing it and the feeling I've seen people around the world sing back is I think it's a testament to a, a timeless song, you know? It's a lot of things to a lot of different people. And, I mean, if anything, I, again, I just think it's just a classic, timeless song. Somebody told me the other day, man, you know when they make those, like, hits from the 80s CDs? Remember those, like, CDs compilations that are, like, a time capsule of that era and take you back? He was like, man, that, that song, Colors, is going to be on, like, the 2020 kind of soundtrack. <laughs> I think it, it tapped into something, but... It's it's timeless. It's gonna. I think it's gonna affect people in a different way in five years from now. You I want to ask y'all about another song called October 33. And Eric, I read that this song might have been a reference to your move to Austin, which I believe happened in the month of October. Is there any truth to that? First of all, October 33 is in songwriting form, the process of shadow work. That is, you know, finding the fragmented parts of self that might have been fragmented from a four, you know, from losing a friend or losing out on something, being put in a situation where the mindset of lack seems more attractive than operating from a mindset of abundance. And so October 33 is pretty much a, a love letter to self, you know, to that part of self that might feel forgotten. Being here in Austin and undergoing this like very heavy transitional period that the last five years has been for me coming from where I come from. That was a song that I just feel like uh, helped me to to kind of survive the changes, so to speak, because the changes have been quite uh, big. Eric, would you mind singing just a little bit of that? Just the beginning? Yeah, yeah. I've got your number lonely October 33, I wear it on my soul's back like fair, fair, fair. And I can hear the brass ring, I hear it in the nosebleeds. Where you once felt a cold breeze, think it was Halloween. I've got your number lonely, October 33. That's cold facts. Holds me down like you know how dark. Hold me now like you know my plight. Got your number. Oh man, it's a beautiful song. It's really got some magic in it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I try to I try to write those kinds of songs, by the way, where I can I can still have myself and have the rest of the people feel comfortable with themselves listening to it. So a lot of things kind of get 
put in uh, to like parable form. And so with that, it, it feels nice that people kind of, you know, can still connect and bring their own me- meanings to it like they do with colors. So I've got to ask how y'all celebrated when you found out you'd gotten three Grammy nominations. <laughs> I ran around the house with my shirt off and and one of my cousins put the song on and we were all, you know, screaming and we had a very jubilant moment um, in the house with my grandmom and my entire family during uh, the time. It was Thanksgiving, right? It was like the day before Thanksgiving. So, yeah, we, we, we had an amazing Thanksgiving. That's how we celebrated. <laughs> Adrian, how about you? We were in Lockhart for the weekend or for the week, Lockhart, Texas. And honestly, like I... I kind of got teared up and, and just kind of stood there. I, I kind of froze for a little bit, but uh, I had a breakfast taco in my hand and my wife opened a bottle of champagne. So I had like tacos and champagne and, and tears, you know, it was a, uh, I, I, I just kind of froze for a second. It took, it took a little bit to kind of digest it all. And then, and then the rest of the day is spent fielding texts and phone calls from friends and family. So this is pretty special. And I just have to ask, what was it like performing at the ceremony this year? It had to be a little surreal. Yeah, it was amazing, man. Just being able to perform on such a stage surrounded by so many brilliant individuals was was a great validator, first of all. And for me, I think that it just it mostly just encouraged me to to continue to make music and to do it to the highest ability possible not not to be nominated again and or win a grammy but to answer the call that is being one of the best songwriters one of the best musicians in the industry as we were validated uh, by the grammys and so for that it's been a lot of pressure but but it's it's if you don't love your work man you got you know you pack it up and do something else well what are y'all most excited about uh coming up in 2021 uh new music making some progress on on new music and then uh hopefully shows you know uh i think we're shooting for a string of shows in in austin in may at the end of the month and then and then a november tour hopefully uh in europe things will will be settled down knock on wood and by november and getting back out there i mean live streams and tapings and all that are cool but there's really nothing like reciprocated from people and when we used to tour it seems like ages ago but Eric would always make it a point to after the show, no matter how we felt, you know, no matter how tired we may be, good or bad day, good or bad show, go out there and, and meet people at the merch table. And, you know, I'd kind of like dilly-dally over there and do that. But it's one of those things I'll just never take for granted again, you know, just to like be able to actually talk to people, interact and to have them tell us our stories and not worry about saliva transmitting, you know, and hugging and shaking hands and all that. So I'm look, looking forward to being able to do that. Well, I know y'all have a lot of fans out there that are very excited to see you on a stage again. We're excited to to meet them there as well. You know, we we can't we can't tell you how much just being in a live performance, just being in that conversation really truly helps us as live performers in the studio project that we've been it's it's been really imperative to kind of have that connection. I believe that the music is changing because of it. And we're trying to make the best of you know, not having that connection. Well, Eric Burton and Adrian Casada, the Black Pumas, it's been so great to have y'all on Biscuits and Jam. All right. Making me hungry. Thank you so much for having us, man. Thanks for having us. 
Thanks for listening to my conversation with Black Pumas. Their Grammy-nominated, self-titled debut album is available wherever you get music. Southern Living is based in Birmingham, Alabama, and this podcast was produced and edited in Nashville, Tennessee. If you like what you hear, please consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or telling your friends about the program. You can find us online at southernliving.com and subscribe to our print publication by searching for Southern Living at www.magazine.store. Biscuits and Jam is produced by Heather Morgan Schott, Chrissy Tiglius, and me, Sid Evans, for Southern Living. Thanks also to Ann Kane, Jim Hankey, Danielle Roth, Matt Sav, Erica Wong, and Rachel King at Pod People. We'll see you back here next week for more Biscuits and Jam. 